0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Hi, I'm Laura Jost, the Associate Editorial Director of the American Journal of Managed Care. 2018 was a big year for biosimilars in the United States, with the number of FDA-approved biosimilars nearly doubling and major policy and regulatory developments taking place. Two years ago, AJMC launched its own biosimilar-specific site, Center for Biosimilars. And since then, it has become a premier source for clinical, regulatory, business, and policy news in the rapidly changing world of biosimilars. I'm speaking today with Kelly Davio, the senior editor of the Center for Biosimilars.
1: Kelly, thank you for joining me from London. Hi, Laura. Thanks for speaking with me today. I'm excited to be able to provide some insight into the world of biosimilars. So last
0: year was a big year for biosimilars in the U.S. Can you put that into context for us? What were we seeing approved and how does it compare to past years?
1: Sure. So broadly speaking, I think there were three big developments that we saw in the U.S. in 2018. First, we had the approval of seven new biosimilar agents. And while seven may not seem like an especially large number, it's important to look at that tally in light of the fact that prior to 2018 there were only nine biosimilars approved by the FDA since Congress created the biosimilar approval pathway in 2009. So we're really seeing a pace pick up with the approvals. Another key thing that we observed last year was the approval of some agents that we've been really eager to see becoming available to patients. We saw the approval of the first two pegfilgrastim products that are biosimilars to Neulasta for the prophylaxis of neutropenia in patients with cancer who are getting chemotherapy. We also saw the first Ipoetin-alpha biosimilar to Epogen for patients with anemia, and the first Rituximab biosimilar to Rituxan, Now, with the rituximab biosimilar, the developer only saw indications in cancer and not in inflammatory diseases, and that's because of some of the issues with the patent landscape. But that drug is going to provide a solid alternative for patients who have non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And finally, something I think is really key for all the stakeholders in the biosimilar field is the fact that we're starting to see some product launches that are much faster than what we've seen before. Four of the seven products that were approved in 2018 have launched already and that's a stark contrast to some of the earlier biosimilars that even though they may have been approved for years still haven't launched in the U.S. as they wait to sort out their patent litigation.
0: And what are we attributing that increased activity to? Is it the biosimilar action plan from FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb or is the U.S. market just kind of already moving that way already?
1: Well, in terms of the number of approvals that we're seeing, in part these are due to the fact that companies that have been working on their development programs for years are finally reaching the culmination of those projects. Developing biosimilars is a whole different ballgame from developing generics, and it can take five to even nine years to develop a biosimilar. So we're starting to see some of those long-standing projects coming to fruition and moving through the FDA approval process. But I think there is also some more very welcome regulatory clarity that has been forthcoming from the FDA in terms of the agency's thinking about biosimilars. And in part, that is linked with the Biosimilar Action Plan that was released in July.
0: So tell me a little bit more about Dr. Gottlieb's action plan. What's the purpose of
1: it? What was he trying to accomplish with it? Sure. So the plan has four broad goals that all tie back to improving competition in the biologic space in the U.S., The first of those goals is to improve the efficiency of the regulatory process for biosimilars and eventually for interchangeable products. When she was speaking in London in October of last year, Leah Crystal from the FDA's Center for Drug Evaluation and Research said that in supporting this particular goal, the FDA will soon be piloting standardized review templates for biosimilars and is working to develop and validate pharmacodynamic biomarkers in-house at the FDA. Now that's gonna help with products like rituximab where some of the PD endpoints are less refined than they are for products like filgrastim. The second goal of the plan is to maximize scientific and regulatory clarity for developers. Some of the initiatives that the agency has discussed that relate to that goal are enhancing the material provided in the purple book and also looking at ways to facilitate the use of non-US licensed comparator products in the development process for biosimilars. The third goal of the plan is to develop effective communication strategies that are gonna help all stakeholders to understand what these products are. You know, education about biosimilars has proven to be a real hurdle in the US, and there are a number of providers that have a surprisingly low level of awareness of what a biosimilar even is. Something that Dr. Crystal discussed is moving provider education into the schools so that when providers are entering practice, that knowledge is already there. The fourth goal of the plan is to reduce the gaming of the system by entities who might want to delay market competition for their products. And some of the ways that the FDA is working on this issue include greater cooperation with the Federal Trade Commission, or FTC, to root out anti-competitive behavior. And the FDA is also hoping to work with legislators on legal remedies to problems such as reference product sponsors who refuse to provide access to samples of their drugs for biosimilar testing.
0: What have we seen so far regarding costs in the United States because Dr. Gottlieb has really been pushing for increasing competition across the board at the FDA to help reduce some of those drug costs um, in all areas. I know the big hope had been that 30% discounts would be seen with biosimilars, but that wasn't quite what we saw with the first couple. Are they starting to deliver on that steep price reduction? And if they're not, what might be in the way of that?
1: We are starting to see some of the discounts for some of the products hitting that 30% discount mark. The 2 pegfilgrastim Biosimilars that I mentioned earlier both launched at a 33% discount to the list price of Neulasta, and the epoetin Alpha Biosimilars discount is 33.5% to Epigen. So we're starting to see that happening at least at the level of the list price. Now, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, however. Are the reference product sponsors offering incentives in the form of rebates or bundling that make it cheaper or easier for plans to stick with the originator product? That seems to be the case in some scenarios. And some stakeholders are saying that those kinds of rebates and bundles on the part of the reference product sponsors rise to the level of anti-competitive practices by effectively keeping biosimilars that are offering these substantial discounts from being able to compete in the market and give patients the ability to benefit from lower out-of-pocket costs. So something the biosimilars world is watching closely right now is an antitrust suit that Pfizer has filed against Johnson & Johnson around specifically this situation. Pfizer is saying that J&J's approach to selling Remicade has improperly affected Pfizer's ability to compete with its biosimilar Inflectra. And the outcome of that lawsuit is going to have significant ripples throughout the industry.
0: And so you mentioned that the Biosimilar Action Plan is sort of starting to work on legal remedies. What is the Biosimilar Action Plan doing, if anything, to address the litigation and patent issues that have been holding up the US biosimilar market? Because, while we've been celebrating the new biosimilars that are being approved, I know that some, like the Humira biosimilars, won't be coming to the market for years. I believe the Humira biosimilars have like a 2023 launch date, if that's correct.
1: As far as patent litigation is concerned, the FDA's hands are really tied by what Congress sets forth. In the Biologics Price Competition and Innovation Act, or the BPCIA for short, which was passed as part of the Affordable Care Act, Congress stipulated what patent litigation would look like for biosimilars. Now, since the BPCIA came into force, we've seen some interesting court cases, including one case that made its way all the way to the Supreme Court, that have refined our understanding of how this law is going to be administered. But as far as changing the way that the litigation takes place in the US, we'd have to see Congress step in. Now, there are some bodies that do have authority here, and this pertains to those Humera patents that you mentioned. And those bodies are the FTC and the Department of Justice, or DOJ. In 2018, we gained a new law on the books that is going to require the FTC and the DOJ to review settlements between biosimilar developers and brand name product developers to make sure that those settlements don't constitute so-called pay-for-delay settlements, in which a sponsor pays a biosimilar developer to keep its drug off the market. Now, in the case of Humira, AbVi, which makes that drug, has settled its patent litigation with a number of developers, some of whom don't even have approved adalimumab biosimilars yet, uh, to say that none of these products can launch in the US before 2023. Now, a number of stakeholders have raised the question of whether these settlements are pay-for-delay deals. Advi has roundly denied those accusations, but the fact remains that there are those who would like to see a lot more scrutiny of these settlements that certainly seem to be keeping biosimilars off the market. Now, one footnote I'd add to any discussion of the Humira settlements is that there's one FDA-approved biosimilar adalimumab, and that's Beringer-Ingelheim-Siltezo that has not been subject to a settlement. And BI has said in no uncertain terms that it plans to see its patent litigation through and to launch that drug in the U.S. prior to 2023. So it will be very interesting to watch how that situation develops.
0: And in comparison, the European market is much more mature when it comes to biosimilars than the U.S. market. Are you seeing interesting trends or activity there that the U.S. might be able to look forward to as we continue to develop our biosimilar market?
1: Absolutely. And to continue with the theme of Humira, here in the European Union, biosimilars of Humira launched in October of 2018, and we're already seeing pretty massive drops in cost. In the United Kingdom, where I live, for example, the National Health Service has said that it's going to be able to cut its spending on adalimumab by 75%. And when you think about the fact that Humira represents the single highest cost of any drug to the health system, that number comes clearly into focus as an important savings for what is really a cash-strapped health system. And elsewhere in Europe, biosimilars are increasing access for patients. For example, before biosimilars of NUPAGEN became available, if a Swedish patient needed filgrastim, three different physicians all had to sign off on that patient's access to the drug. Now that there are biosimilars available, no such authorizations are required before a patient who's at risk for febrile neutropenia can receive filgrastim. So we see costs going down and patient access going up, and certainly those are both things that we hope to see in the United States. We have to remember, of course, that in our non-nationalized system in the U.S., we have different market conditions that we have to contend with. So on the whole,
0: though, it sounds like biosimilars are growing and have promise, but they still have room to go in the United States.
1: Absolutely. We are at a critical time in the development of the market as we see this first wave of biosimilars sink or swim, and as we see how the U.S. is going to address some of the problems that we have with anti-competitive practices, the lack of education among patients and providers, and the need for greater regulatory clarity from FDA. We're also at a juncture where we're looking at development of that next wave of biosimilars that will expand us into treatment areas like ophthalmology and even some rare diseases. So the next few years will be ones to watch. Thank you so much for speaking with me all the way from London. Thanks, Laura. It's been my pleasure.
0: For more about biosimilars and the stories mentioned in this podcast, visit centerforbiosimilars.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.